Jesus, thank you for your word that gives us direction and understanding about your body, the, the, the church. Help us today. Let me ask this one. Help me get out of the way so you can teach us about what the church is all about. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for teaching us today. We agree in this, and we said, amen. When I was in eighth grade, I had the best buddy in the world. His name was Tony. Tony and I loved each other. We were brothers. We did everything together. We played football together. We played basketball. When we did street football, we're always on the same team. We really knew how each other were thinking. It was, it was great. You know, we could play uh, sports, and I'd know where to pass the ball because he would be there and so forth. Uh, one time, we got in a fist fight. Didn't matter. Next day, we were walking to school together. He had some stitches and fat lip and, and a beat-up eye. I had a big shiner. I won. And uh, <laughs> there you go again. But the fact is, we were one. And when I was thinking about this passage, we were so unified. It made me think about this, this passage because there's a lot about unity in the the, the uh, section of scripture we'll be looking at and referring to the Nicene Creed. So we're gonna be looking through little parts of Ephesians chapter four and pulling out some of the truths that the Nicene Creed has been teaching us as a church for uh, centuries, 17 and a half centuries, something like that. So let's read, let's jump right into verse four. It says, uh, there is one body, I wanted to just talk about three things about this church. The first is the nature of uh, the church. The Nicene Creed gives us a, some directions, about three different directions about what the nature of the church is. Secondly, we're gonna look at what the hope of the church is. The Nicene Creed gives us a couple of points on that. And then thirdly, I wanna look at the, the way of the church. In light of what we're learning, how do we live within the body of Christ today? The way of the church. But it starts off in verse four, it says we are one body. Notice it doesn't say one building. We call this place the church. But this church is really just the building that houses the church. The church is not a place, it's a people. There's a Greek word that that the New Testament hijacks in some ways. It's called ekklesia. Say ekklesia. You now know one Greek word besides agape. And the ekklesia is the assembly for a purpose. Now they used it otherwise before the New Testament, but the New Testament kind of grabbed it and made it the word. Ekklesia is the gathering of the body of Christ and it is one. It is a singular unit. But there's things to learn about how this unity works. Let's look at a, a verse in 1 Corinthians. Actually, Pastor Logan uh, read it already and preached half the content of my sermon. Uh, talk about a uh, teaser. There you go. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and 13 says this. For in, excuse me, for just as in, uh, as in the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all were made to drink of the one spirit. It says a number of things. It has three things in that verse. One is that we are a unity in diversity in gifts. If you read the rest of that passage or Romans 12 or the rest of our passage here or 1 Peter 4, those are the gift, major gift passages, you'll see that we are diverse in our gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says that each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit. So the analogy of the body is very good for the church. It is a unity in diversity. And if the individual cells that we might be described as individually are, are not functioning the way we are supposed to, you know, if there's a bunch of hair cells that don't function the way they're supposed to, what happens? You become bald. And I think coming bald is pretty sexy. <laughs> What's happening in the body of Christ is the fact that, that we are a diversity of gifts. The person next to you is, is weird, right? On the other side, your spouse, of course. Because they're different than you. They have different personalities, but moreover, they're given specifically gifts that are different than you. A diversity in unity. Second thing, we have many uh, ethnic group, groups. It says Jews and Greeks in that verse. It also, Colossians says, Scythians. Uh, those are like super barbarians, but they're included through the faith in Jesus Christ. Many ethnic groups. If you think about along the, the globe, you know how the globe is round? I'm sorry, head of the curve on that, baby. So you're round, the, round the, 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 the day goes like across the globe. So earlier in the world, there were Christians in Japan and China and Southeast Asia worshiping in Philippines and Australia and in India and in Mongolia and, and in the Eastern Europe. The Ukrainians and the Russians were worshiping today onto Eastern Europe and, and Western Europe and, and South Africa and all of the continent of Africa around to our country. People were all, of every ethnic group, of every we're worshiping. There is no difference. And when the, the church comes back together, it will be every ethnic group, every color of face, every language, culture will be represented. The church is, is uh, that diverse. It goes on, and it says it will be many types of people, slave or free, even uh, like Galatians said, male and female. Barbarians even, like Colossians mentioned, and super barbarians, the Scythians. There are people of very different statuses. There will be rich and poor. There'll be people who have a lot of political power, no political power. People who are popular, who are unpopular, who are any uh, shape or size. The church is diverse. Now I want to tell you that because there's another word in that first phrase I want to look at that also talks about the oneness. It says in the Nicene Creed, we're the one Catholic church. Now, I have a friend, remain nameless, in my Tuesday group, who says, I am a regular basis. I'm a recovering Catholic. I wouldn't say that necessarily. I was raised Catholic, but I, most Catholics would understand what he means. And a lot of people that have that sentiment say, 
What's Catholic doing in our creed? And why did we say it today? Okay, settle down. Put, put down the word and back away, all right? So little c, little c Catholic, okay? Little c Catholic means universal. Say universal. universal. Catholic. Catholic. Oh, that was kind of hard to say, wasn't it? <laughs> it means the church that we've just described in its diversity. Ethnically, age, no matter what, popular, unpopular, powerful, not powerful, we're all one in Christ, right? And one other aspect, let's flip over to Ephesians chapter three, uh, verses 20 and 21. It talks about that. Go ahead and throw that up there. I wanna look from the screen. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. Amen? To him be glory in the what? In the church and in Christ Jesus. When? Throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Not only are we uh, Catholic in the sense we are a unit and unified by diversity and one God, one uh, Lord and Savior, one Spirit who energizes these gifts of every tongue and nation. We are uh, unified with all the church that has ever existed. So imagine and use your, your, your godly imagination that you're looking down the line of history when Jesus Christ uh, formed the church by his life and death and resurrection. Those first apostles are brothers and sisters to us. The ones they reached, our brothers and sisters to us, on down through all the people we respect, all the people we know through the, the early fathers, through the early Middle Ages, to the late Middle Ages, to the Reformation. They're our brothers and sisters. Through the modern church, people we love and all the writers and all the Christians that, that we may not even know are all brothers and sisters. So when the Nicene Creed says we are one holy Catholic church, it means that we are a unit in phenomenal diversity. We are something far bigger than, oh, I'm gonna go drive up to the church. We are part of something so big, so awesome, that nothing can stop it. It is like a body that is constantly being renewed, that new members are adding in, old members are, are dying and going to heaven, and this body lives forever, renewed in, in the power of God, adding new members. That is an awesome thought, isn't it? That encourages me so much, because it isn't about me, and it isn't about you, it is about him. As we continue on, we learn that it's one body. But we also learn, in verse five, it starts with the word, one Lord. In the creed, it says that little word, holy. We are one holy Catholic church. And they say, well, what, where do I go with the one Lord? Well, flip over to chapter five of uh, Ephesians, and it's talking about husbands, which is challenging enough, but look about what it says about Jesus Christ. 
He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let that hang in the air for a little bit. Challenging, right, husbands? Yeah. He gave himself up for it that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing that, he might, that she might be holy without blemish. You see, this holiness does not come from a good bunch of acting people. It comes from a savior who has given himself to completely cleanse this body of, of believers. You see, you've been around church world, you know holy means to be called out. Called out for God's purposes. With the inference that it would be sanctified, that it would be cleansed, that it would be acceptable to a holy God. When the Nicene Creed says the church is holy, we believe it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am holy. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you are holy. Now you shouldn't lie in the church building. <laughs> Notice how I did the church building because we learned that this isn't the church. We kind of feel that way, honestly. A little bit like, why is the pastor making me lie? Because I know that guy over there isn't holy. Maybe he's got holy jeans on or something, but man, he ain't making the grade, right? Or you look in the mirror. I know that when I look in the mirror, holy is not the trait that I can claim with all honesty. Why are we declaring that we are holy? Well, let's look at the work of Christ in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. This is a verse that we don't understand until we begin to pull it apart. It says, for by, by a single offering, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Okay, let me just use common language. Jesus made holy for all time all those people that he's making holy. He made us holy and is making us holy. You see, we talk a lot about the already not yet nature of the church. Well, this is an aspect of it. Do you know sitting here right now, if you know Jesus, you are holy. You are part of his holy, cleansed, acceptable bride. Perfect, without blemish. That is your status. That is the reality. That's how powerful the work of Jesus on the cross is. You see, there's a little doctrine that's called the imputed righteousness of Christ. Christ, um, I don't know why they have to use imputed. It means give to. He's given us his righteousness. When we are in Christ, another verse says that that. We have his righteousness, so God sees us through the righteousness of Jesus. We are perfect. But yet, there's that sanctifying work that still needs to grow us up into it, something that we will never perfectly do because of our sin nature, because of the fallen uh, world, because of the enemy's activity, but we aspire by his power to grow up into it. So we are the holy church. 
We are the holy body of Christ. The next aspect in the Apostles' Creed talks about that we are an apostolic church. In verse 11, talks about apostles. Need to understand a little bit, but let me read that verse. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body. Notice that the apostles are first. Okay, that office has authority. And it will, I'm moving the podium, falling off, getting a little too excited. The apostles were first, and let's turn over, I wanna turn over real quickly to 1 Corinthians 12, 28, because it kind of uh, focuses us on the, that. It says, and God had appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then he goes on to talk about other giftings. The apostles being first is a sign that something that is important about authority. And when we talk about that we are the apostolic church, it isn't this, this set of gifts necessarily, but it is the big A apostles that we are apostolic by. It's their authority. The first disciples of Jesus heard his word, wrote down his words, and, and was a, a living examples of people that are uh, drug along, pushed along, uh, enabled by the Holy Spirit to write the scriptures. When we're talking about the fact that we are an apostolic church, it is that we are based on the teachings and the heritage of the apostles, which were the heritage uh, and teaching of Jesus. So if we are thinking about the analogy of a body, it's almost like the apostolic teaching, the scriptures are like the bones of the body to give it structure and strength. So that's the few things it says about the nature of the church, that we're one body, we have one Lord who's cleansed and purified us, and we are, we're given apostles and have a basic, a basis for our belief in the first apostles and the authority of scripture. Well, what about the second point? I wanna talk a little bit about the hope of the church. Verse five talks about the hope of the church. He said it talks about one body, one spirit. But it also goes on to say, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your calling. One hope, the Nicene Creed kind of breaks it out to start talking about what the hope is all about. The first thing it says is we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you're a pretty good Bible thinker, you might think that there might be something wrong with that phrase, or you were listening to to Brian last week preached, he gave, it, gave a little bit away about the baptism, but it says, we believe in the baptism for the forgiveness of sin. Now, if you think that's talking about water baptism, I think we are gonna be off on that. Turn back to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. We read it already, I'm gonna read it again, see if you can see what the truth is about that baptism. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Let me read that again, just that phrase. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. You see, the hope is based in the baptism. The baptism isn't how you were baptized with water, but when you came into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, you were baptized with the Holy Spirit, automatically entered into the body of Christ and were saved. It is that work that we talked about when we talked about Christ making the body whole, cleansed, and acceptable to him. The hope is that we will enter in the body of Christ by the work of Christ and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. There is no other hope. There's nothing else to bank on when it comes to the life eternal, when it comes to a a relationship with God. Lots of people believe there are lots of ways. But the scriptures are clear. Jesus himself is clear that he's the only hope. And the only hope is that one baptism that comes when we give our, put our faith in Jesus Christ and the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes on us. First aspect of, of hope. The second aspect of hope is literally the word hope. In verse four, it goes on and says that, that we were called to the one hope that belongs to your calling. I think I read it earlier. In the Nicene Creed, it says, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life to the wo- of the world to come. Amen. We are looking for the one hope. If we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the only way to have the hope that, that the Nicene Creed talks about of anticipating the resurrection and the life to come. Look at 1 Peter. Talks about this so beautifully in the first chapter, verse three and on. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he hath caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The hope that is found in Jesus Christ is looking forward to the resurrection of the dead, our resurrection, and our life in the world to come. It is his death and resurrection as the pioneer for us to find our resurrection and our life in the world to come. Billy Graham put it simply this way. For the believer, there is hope beyond the grave because Jesus Christ has opened the door to heaven for us and his death, by his death and resurrection. There is no hope without Jesus. 
faith in him holds our hope for all eternity. I want to talk a second about hope. You know, last season I hoped the Seahawks would win. Very dubious hope. They didn't win much. That's not this hope. I don't, anytime your, your team goes to play, you hope they win, right? That's more of a wish. And they might be good and they might win, but you don't know. This hope is something that we are assured of, just haven't experienced yet. It's almost as if we know it in our heads and we can see it and taste it and feel it. It just hasn't come to pass, but we are sure it will come. We have faith, and it is guaranteed by the God in heaven. Nothing can stop him from doing what he will. Amen? The last aspect of this, and we'll continue to, to move on and worship, it says, the way of the church. I wanna give you a couple quick points. How do we live? If this is the nature and the, the hope of the church, how do we live in that church? First of all, live in hope. Live in hope. You might be sitting here today, maybe you've been around church world a long time, maybe it's your first time, maybe you've been around, whatever, but you're just sensing, man, when he talks about this hope in Jesus, I, I don't know that I have that. Turn to Jesus. Put your faith in him. That's the Holy Spirit calling you unto himself. And just say yes. Jesus himself said, all who receive me, those who believe in my name, I give a right to be a child of God, a right to enter the body of Christ forever. Christ is the head. We are the body. Turn to Jesus. The second thing, look to eternity. You know, uh, you know, we've heard that phrase, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. What if we turn that around? We're so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. I haven't really thought about the theology of that, but work it out in yourself. <laughs> Christians don't think about heaven very much. And they kind of have this weird view that we're going to all be skinny and have wings and have a harp and all eternity singing lovely songs to the Lord. I'm glad you guys don't have anything to throw at me because I know some of you are going to probably be mad. I think that would be super boring. Honest, I'll, I'll confess that later. Come on, no one's ever been fearful about heaven would be this eternity, ring, ring, wing. But my God isn't that way. My God created laughter. He created the duck-billed platypus. Have you ever seen one of those? Those are funny, okay? It caused husbands and wives to be married. That's funny. Okay, God is so wonderful. In, uh, in Ephesians 3, we read it, that, that God can do more than we can think or ask. I doubt very much it's gonna be boring to be in heaven. I'm reading the book by uh, uh, Alcorn, whatever his first name is, Randy. called Heaven, Randy. Amen, I love you, babe. 
And it, it's true. We don't think enough about heaven. Look to eternity. The second thing is live in love. If Jesus has done all this that this creed has told us to enter us into this wonderful, his body of Christ, we should do what he commands. Look at uh, John chapter 15, verse 12. This is, there isn't a lot of space. Go ahead, put that up there, Alex. Am I gonna have to turn all the way back to John? Okay, I told you to put it up there. Yeah. Ah, this is my command. Not suggestion, not referral. I hope you do it. This is my command that you what? Love one another as I have loved you. Not me, I'm quoting Jesus. As Jesus loved us, what did he do? I'm not gonna go through it, I just preached a whole sermon on it. He loves us, and we ought to love one another. Turn back to Ephesians chapter four, the first few verses, that's why I had us read them. Look at it, it says, therefore as a prisoner of the, for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You know, we, we were called into the body of Christ, all the work that Jesus Christ, for a calling, for a purpose, right? Go on. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The bond of peace, that bond means it's like ligaments holding a, a knee or a joint together. <clears throat> peace binds us together when we seek with great eagerness to the unity of the body of Christ. It gives traits of things that we'll be looking deeper in our community groups, but things like humility and gentleness Patience, bearing with one another in love. Folks, if we have been called to this wonderful church, the body of Christ, and empowered to live, forgiven of all of our sins, then we are called to love and to be unified. You know, I told you a little bit about my friend Tony at the beginning, we were so unified. Well, we were unified because we were alike. We lived on the same uh, street, we were the same grade, we are both white kids. We were just alike. But God has called us in a better relationship. We're to love each other primarily because we're not and we are called to, to love like Jesus does. So the words of humility and gentleness, bearing with one another, may challenge you because across this auditorium there might be somebody that you're at odds with. But be, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. There might be people that the Holy Spirit right now Go get unified. And it might take a little bit of humility of bearing with them. And what about the church across the world? You know, you and I have a theological perspective. Many people have different ones. Though they, they call on the name of Jesus and they're going to be in heaven with us, 
And I would just call you to remember they are the bride of Christ too. And that when, when you think, oh, I disagree with their points or how they do things that are outside the basic salvation message, we don't have a right to put down or make fun of the bride of Christ. We are unified. And besides, you'll spend eternity with those people. And all, here's my big theological point. Don't take this one away. I think when we get to heaven, we'll figure out we're probably all more wrong than right. So let's have a little bit of humility and love. So like Ephesians 4 teaches us, we are one. And we are unified whether you are unified with your brother or not because of Christ. And God in Christ has called us to love one another in unity. Let's have the unity of the body of Christ today. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that everything that was done that needed to be done was done by you. Jesus, your sacrifice and life and resurrection is everything we need. And you have called us to a unity in diversity in your body. Jesus, as we are moving, living, doing the things that we normally do, remind us often that though we are unified, sometimes we need to work in humility and gentleness just to maintain that. Lord, unify Cornerstone as a local piece of your body. Help us be unified with others, brothers and sisters. In the love of God, we pray. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people, his church said, Amen. Amen.